Father Feller here, St. Edmund's Gales Cast. I'm joined with our other host, Jenny Condon. Hello. And today we have Aaron Flattery here with us, who's going to be talking about perpetual adoration. Hello. Well, hey, Aaron, how do you want to start off today? You know, um, perpetual adoration is kind of, um, it's, it's kind of foreign. Mm-hmm. Those words, perpetual Eucharistic adoration. Hmm. How do we begin? Well, first of all, I think it's funny that me, a college student who's only been praying literally for like seven months, is being asked by a priest what perpetual adoration is. But um, I'll give it my best shot um, and kind of explain what it means to me and give my own witness. Um, So perpetual adoration is very different from just prayer in your own room. Um, I guess I'll start back when I was little in my first memories of prayer. Um, I remember my dad, he would corral me and my siblings up before nighttime, and he would, um, have us all line up, and he'd sit down on the couch, and we'd put our knees on his, our elbows on his knees, and he'd clasp our hands together, and we'd go through the Hail Mary, the Our Father, and the Glory Be, and we'd all take our turns. And we really wouldn't take it very seriously. We'd all be giggling. But I think just the fact that my dad would take the time out of every night to do that was huge. And it's one of my fondest memories. And it's such a sweet memory to see God back in my life and what he's done since then. Um, I guess my first memory of when I first was told that like the host, the Eucharist that's, that is held up in Mass, it went, when I was first told that that was Jesus Christ, I remember it was during Mass, and my mom, she pointed toward the tabernacle, and she she was like, that's where Jesus lives. And um, I thought she was pointing to the altar. So I, for a long time, I thought, like, Jesus lived on the altar um, at all times. Um, and so I just, like, imagine, like, a miniature Jesus, like, chilling, <laughs> sitting <laughs> on the altar, um, just kind of walking around while, like, the priest was talking and stuff. Um, so that was my first experience with that. Um, and I remember as a kid, I'd pray often. I'd pray almost every night, and I'd pray on my knees, and I'd go through intercessory prayer, and I'd pray for my family and um, my extended family. I'd pray for my friends. And I'd do that literally every night. Um, and I don't know where I learned that from or where that came from, but um, it was definitely a grace that I was doing that. Um, and I know God did listen to my prayers even then. And um, middle school came around. I probably started to not pray as much. I remember I'd pray when I needed God and when I was worried. And, like, I, I was worried a lot. I was a worried wart in um, in middle school. I'd pr- I, I told Father Feller and Jenny this earlier, but I worried about enrollment for St. Edmund back in, <laughs> in middle school. <laughs> um and I'd pray often for that. And yeah, we should always be praying for our Catholic schools and our enrollment too. So I think it's just funny as a little sixth grader, I was praying for that. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, when I first encountered Jesus Christ in Eucharistic Adoration, it was my eighth grade year. I had signed up to go to a retreat called U2000 that was held here at St. Edmund. And it was put on by a bunch of Franciscan friars. So it was the guy in the gray robes, you know, with long beards. And... It was like a Saturday night, and uh, we had all gathered in a circle around this, like, candle Christmas tree thing, um, and we, 
they told us that Christ was going to be present and they were going to expose him in the blessed sacrament um, in a monstrance. Um, but first they read to us the story of the woman who was about to be stoned um, and how Christ stepped in and wrote something in the sand. Um, and the friars told us to imagine ourselves as that woman at that moment and to imagine Christ in the Eucharist coming up to us um, and doing whatever it was, whether it was writing in the sand or just like grabbing our hand or, yeah, just to have a moment with him, just like the woman had a moment with him while she was in the sand about to be stoned. Um, and so I was on my knees and I think I was hunched over in like a fetal position and I knew that the Eucharist was coming and I could feel Christ approaching and I saw the friar's feet in front of me standing and I knew he was holding Christ but I couldn't look up and I just felt overcome by emotion I started crying and there's like when you're in that moment there's no doubt in your mind that that is not Jesus Christ like that is definitely him and there's nothing that could ever convince me that it isn't um and so yeah I think it's really about having a personal encounter with him like you can have people talk about Eucharistic adoration all day but until you go in and you have a personal encounter with him and you open your heart with him to him then it's not going to mean anything until you have that first encounter so um, yeah, I think anyone listening to this, I just encourage you to be open to the idea of Eucharistic adoration and encountering him in the Eucharist. And that was a lot of talking, but... <laughs> that is okay. I think it opened up some more questions. So, um, first, it, perpetual adoration is a little bit of an undertaking. Is that right, right Father Oh, Brian? yeah, it is. It takes... What is it? A common week is 168 hours. And so to cover 168 hours of people in a chapel with the Blessed Sacrament on the altar with the host in that monstrance mm -hmm. praying, mm -hmm. it takes a little bit of organization of a parish to do mm -hmm. that. And plus you need the, as we've said, the, the bishop's permission, but in our case here in our diocese, the bishop loves it. And so he yes. gives the permission to have Eucharistic adoration perpetually. Mm -hmm. Yes, that is very exciting. Right now we're currently offering Holy Trinity adoration every two weeks. Yep, every, what is it, every third, or first weekend and second weekend, or third weekend of the month. Okay, um, on Friday? On Friday, Friday, Saturday, after mm -hmm. Friday morning Mass, until Saturday at noon. Yeah. And as more people desire and sign up for this, then we're going to increase the hours. Mm -hmm. Now, can Aaron, can you say a few words about how perpetual adoration, having it all week, every hour, is important for a community? Yeah. Well, first of all, can I just say that... Um, Eucharistic adoration, yeah, we built a church already, and that's a big deal, but I would say perpetual adoration is even a bigger deal. <laughs> like, yeah, we built the physical church, but we need to build the spiritual church, and that starts with prayer. Prayer is the foundation mm -hmm. of that. Um, and so, yeah, your question is why people should sign up. Is that what your question yeah, is? Yeah, yeah, tell yeah. me about that. Um, if you, like, think of your biggest problems that you have in your life right now, and... Um, you're trying to handle them on your own, and that's just a waste of time. I'm telling you, if you go to Christ and you go to prayer, he will recenter your life around him, and he will make everything ordered, and he'll order everything, and he'll make you closer to your family. If you want to be closer to your family, closer to your spouse, 
he will do that, but he's the only one who can do that. If you want to be closer to your friends, he's the only one who can do that. If you want to be closer to your community, he's the only one who can do that. If, like, I mean, if, if you care about Holy Trinity Parish and you want volunteers to start volunteering, then take it to perpetual adoration. That will give the church new life and it'll make the church so new and newer than the church that we already just built. Um, and so, yeah, every, this perpetual adoration is for everyone, whether you believe it's Christ in the Eucharist or not, it's for everyone. Um, or whether even you're a Catholic or not, it's for you, and you have to just go and see for yourself. Would, wouldn't that be beautiful that someone's out and about, they see a church, maybe not Catholic, not Christian, or maybe they've stepped away from it for a while and mm-hmm. then go in, mm-hmm. and they see a few people praying in front of an altar yeah. with something on the altar, mm-hmm. and they're just curious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they go in, they sit down, not knowing what is going on, mm-hmm. but then they leave in peace. Yeah. I think sometimes people are like, oh, but that's a little weird. Like, do we really want to be that weird? But I think it's that, like, weirdness and that curiosity that, like, makes people stay. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's... Like, you don't see that anywhere else. People sitting around, just a little tiny host, you don't see that anywhere else. And just... Yeah, people bend over, like, making a sign of reverence to this little host. There's, like, that's going to be, like, if you're coming in for the first time, you're going to be like, why are they doing that? But, no, I think that's so cool. And I think we need to keep making people uncomfortable because that's (laughs) what keeps people coming back. And it's a mystery, and mysteries are so beautiful. So, Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard the, the, the quote where it says, Jesus comes to to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> Turn things on their heads. I mean, the idea is he wants us all to draw near to him. Mm-hmm. But just this past week, uh, we celebrated St. Clair of yes. uh, Assisi mm-hmm. and um, a friend of St. Francis, of course. Mm-hmm. And when her convent was being attacked, um, she instructed the priests or the sisters to take the Eucharist, the Blessed Sacrament, put him in the monstrance and put the monstrance right outside the... Um, the convent, the mm-hmm. monastery, mm-hmm. and the attackers left. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. the, the power of the Lord. And mm-hmm. you, you talk about that personal relationship with Jesus uh, in the Eucharist. How does he look at you? I mean, do you ever get a sense that he's looking at you? Yeah. Whenever I go and I pray um, in front of the Blessed Sacrament, um, I just really try to make myself vulnerable and um, open my heart up to him. And it does take a lot of trust to do that and to allow him to see the spaces in your heart that are weak and dirty and gross. Um, and I I open my heart up despite <laughs> all of my weaknesses and grossness. And he just gazes at me with nothing but love. Um, and yeah, I think I first realized that just this past year when I first started to pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament, um, just how loved I am and how sweet life is to know that you are loved by him, by the God of the universe. Like, he's got your back no matter what. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question, but oh, yeah. it's just so sweet to be loved by him. Yeah, that's your experience. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself have started to go to adoration this year, mm-hmm. and I try to make a point to um, find time uh, to do that and it's just a really good time to turn my phone off and unplug and like you said pray or not do anything at all mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. 
what advice do you have for parents, perhaps with little kids or lots of kids or people that don't know if they have the time mm-hmm. um, for this? I like this question. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, gosh. I've been telling you, if you give God the time, he's going to multiply that so much. Like, I yeah, I even had this dilemma as a college student. I was like, gosh, I want to pray to you, Lord, but I don't even have time. And all of a sudden, my schedule just opened up. I cannot describe it, but my he just multiplied my time, and I just my time felt so free too. Like, um, I think Pope John Paul II said, "What do you, what do you do in your free time?" And he said, "All oh, my time's free." Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like I'm telling. I can't describe it. You have to go experience it for yourself. But he's going to open up your schedule, um, and if you make time for him, he will give you the world. So, yeah. Do you have any advice for those who may have already committed to Eucharistic adoration for maybe years, but then for some for some reason, you know, maybe they got busy or it just was difficult, you know, maybe their prayer was kind of dry. Mm-hmm. It was hard to be there and they kind of gave up. Mm-hmm. What would you say to invite them back? I mean, even if prayer is dry, is it still worth going? Yeah. Um, actually, I think it's kind of, I think... It's about having a different perspective on dry prayer. Um, I've heard it said that, like, when you have dry prayer, which, like, dry prayer is, like, you sit down and there's just no dialogue, nothing's happening. You don't, like, feel anything. You're not having any experience. Um, but when you're having that, I've heard it said, I think Father Jacques Philippe said that, but he's, God in those moments is working on, like, the inner, deeper parts of your spirit. Like, the parts that you don't even know about. Like, and... I think that's so cool. So whenever I enjoy prayer, I'm just like, God, you do your thing. I'll just sit here. <laughs> um, Some heart surgery. Yeah. And so it kind of goes back to the fact that, like, he's going to give you whatever you need when you come in that moment. Like, whatever you need, he will give it to you. Whether it's just silence, he's going to give it to you. And, like, sometimes you don't even know that you're going to need it. Like, you don't even need that, know that you need dry prayer. But he does. And he's going to be working at the depths of your soul in that. So... Yeah, it's when you think about it for that perspective, it's not that dry. It's actually fascinating. So it's really exciting. So mm-hmm. yeah, that is really cool. Mm-hmm. Well, I do have a few fun facts that I was able to um, dig up on perpetual adoration. If you guys want to hear sure. those, yeah. Um, so just a reminder: perpetual adoration is something that we're wanting to hopefully initiate at some point in the future through Holy Trinity Parish, um, but it is going to take. You know stakeholders um, mm-hmm. our parishioners everybody um, that way we can offer um, the Blessed Sacrament to everybody um, 24 hours a day seven days a week 365 mm-hmm. days a year except for like what Easter or something I don't know. yeah I guess maybe Easter I, I <laughs> Good Friday. possibly yes um, so some fun facts is there are um, 2,500 um, perpetual adoration chapels around the world and 1,100 are in the United States. Um, the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minnesota has the most chapels of perpetual adoration and the largest monstrances in Chicago. Chicago. Mm-hmm. Not very mm-hmm. far away. Sweet home, Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. Well, we want, we want to invite everybody to Eucharistic Adoration here at Holy Trinity Parish on the first Friday and Saturday of the month and also the third Friday, Saturday of the month in the chapel attached to the church. And here at St. Edmund, where the Gales meet, uh, we 
have uh, the kids go into Eucharistic adoration again on the first Friday of the month as well. And teachers sometimes bring them multiple Fridays Mm -hmm. because we want our kids to be close to the source of love, Jesus, who loves them so much and has such great plans for them. And the more that we can help our young ones know him and love him and receive his love, the more free they're going to be and the more joy they're going to have. And that's what we want for our kids here to be free, full of joy, and to live all life's possibilities. Aaron Flattery, we appreciate your time today. Thank you for coming. Join us again. And to all all our listeners, please look us up on the website at St. Edmund or Holy Trinity as well as on Facebook. Have a great day. This is Father Brian Feller and Jenny Condon. And God bless.